What was that? <laughs> Beginning yeah. of... <laughs> that was a fast watch. Uh, what is that? Monster X Radio is presenting On the Shoulders of Giants, Talking Old Timers with Thomas Steenberg, the one, the only Thomas. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine, Julie. A little upset with uh, the Canadian government censoring Facebook that I can't even share our programs on Facebook anymore, but that's just uh, the way it goes here in good old nanny-state Canada. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, when you told me about that the other day, I was kind of blindsided. I'm like, well, now what? So I went online and looked up what exactly was going on, and I'm still a little confused, but basically it looks like Facebook is kind of blocking certain content for Canada because Canada is wanting someone to pay for something related to the media content. The excuse is the media, the mainstream media doesn't get paid for its stories being shared on other programs. But what it really is is our our, uh, woke, condescending prime minister trying to silence criticism of him and his government. That's what it really comes oh. And the Sasquatch yeah. on, on this topic on cryptozoology in general is not politics or media, but they just labeled it all in. And I guess slowly through time, it'll get corrected as they realize how stupid they are. But uh, right. that's the way it goes. Yeah. They've not only yeah, taken... Well, that- do, they took bad. down all the previous programs off of Facebook, too. God knows. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. I tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, how's everything else up in British Columbia besides that? Well, I, I took a, a friend of mine to the famous Ruby Creek Chapman site. You remember the Chapman incident in 1941? Yeah. And, because he always wanted to see the property, and I know where it is, and I can take people there, because I know the, the the people who own the place now. And unfortunately, the the smoke from the forest fires up at Boston Bar had completely obscured the property. Mm. So we'll have to do it again, because we're having a real mm. forest fire problem here now. Yeah, I saw that too. I tell you, there's yeah. stuff going on all over the country. And in North, in Canada as well, wildfires and and it's just been crazy. And oh, the weather has, here has been like like Hades porch. It's just I'm over it. I'm ready for some cooler weather. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I keep telling the young folks who keep thinking there's a problem. We had a word for this back in my day, too. We called it summer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm glad to see that you're doing pretty good, all things considering, up there. Um, Tonight, now this is episode 44, right, Thomas? Correct. This is our 44th episode, yep. Wow, it's amazing. Uh, we do have a very special guest tonight, somebody I've been trying to get on the show for some time, but they have such a wicked, crazy schedule, um, it's hard for him to nail down a certain time, and we're absolutely blessed that he was able to sneak in a little bit of time for us tonight. Um, he's actually a professor at North Carolina State University, my home state, and um He's a librarian, instructor, researcher. He's also the only person who's been invited to speak at Harvard University in the South Carolina Bigfoot Conference. <laughs> so that makes a heck of a resume, doesn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody else that can say that. Um, no, I don't think anyone can say that. <laughs> you no, know, and his interest is in... Sasquatch research, ghost investigation, human mind, and the weird. So he he really um, likes to take a scientific approach in um, you know what what we all would say is paranormal, um, and it does have classes that students participate in, and they really you know bring things in a scientific manner. So that is very admirable for to see that's going on here at our university. Um, without further ado, I will introduce him. His name is Darby Orcutt, and how are you, Darby? I'm doing well. Very happy to be here, Julie Thomas. Well, we certainly are glad that you cut out some time for us. I know this is the first week going back to school, and you're probably crazy busy, but we, we're really glad you're here Um and I, d- I don't want to waste any time because we have so much to cover. And my first question for you, Darby, is how in the world did you become uh, an instructor um, on the paranormal, the Sasquatch, the ghost investigating at the university? I mean, how did all that begin? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? It's uh It is. I, you know, I was I was just uh I was in a uh I was in a meeting today with a number of faculty and PhD students and uh we were coming together to talk about, you know, essentially what did what did we do on our summer vacation and what was something wonderful that we achieved and uh I talked about uh, launching this project and um, there were some of my colleagues there, uh, and of course, most of them know, know what I do, but there were a few who were, who were there hearing that for the first time, and they kind of look at me like, oh, really? <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> right. Um, and I'll, I'll make a long story short, but, uh, you know, I had been, uh, I've been at, at NC State for uh, a long time now, since 2001, um, and I have uh, uh, taught and worked in a number of, of different interdisciplinary areas. Um, and in 
for many years I've been teaching courses about uh, particularly how science works and how science works in the real world, uh, not just not just uh, the, the basic methods of science that you might have learned in, in grade school, but uh, how does culture impact science? Uh, what are the economics of science, and how does that drive scientific questions? And uh, how do scientists and the public uh, communicate with one another, and, and, and what, what, what's the back and forth there? Um, and so... The other thing I should mention is that as a librarian, one of my major uh, job responsibilities uh, is not something that most people think of as a librarian, uh, uh, but I, I particularly work to uh, help put together and support interdisciplinary research teams. So these are researchers who are coming from uh, different areas of specialization, uh, they have different skill sets, and they need to come together because there are research questions that are really thorny, that are that cross fields. A lot of real world issues, as you can imagine, require not just uh, a particular specialist in one thing, but maybe a whole range of specialists because these issues are really complex and they are both scientific issues and they are social issues. And so uh, it really requires having teams uh, for these types of questions, these types of problems that draw from, say, computer science and philosophy and from uh, agriculture and from social sciences, and so on and so forth. So many years ago, I was working on one of these projects. Um, in fact, uh, the university had been approached uh, by DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. That's the research and development arm, if you will, of the Department of Defense. And they came to the university because they wanted us to put in a pre-proposal for a project that they wanted to see done. And none of this is top secret, so I'm not sharing anything, <laughs> not sharing anything out of school <laughs> here. Um, uh, but what DARPA wanted uh, at that time, they wanted uh, a no larger than one cubic centimeter microchip that could be implanted in the human brain that could read and write to the brain. Now, at the time, and maybe even to some people today, that sounds like pure science fiction, right? Um, but here I was working to bring together the right folks. So I had a biomedical expert, uh, had an electrical engineer, a design person. You know, so I've recruited uh, and helped, recruited a number of different faculty. We're, we're, we've got six or eight of us sitting down um, planning out how to do this. And I had a realization in that moment, and that was that essentially what we were trying to do was create a device for telepathy, to share information from one brain and put it into another person's brain. And here we are at a top research university focused on 
STEM, so focused on science and technology. And we are, we are very seriously planning a potential project around creating telepathy. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that, again, looking for a technological means to achieve that. When, at the same time, I at that time was only vaguely aware of, but I knew that there were scientific researchers called parapsychologists who investigate, many of them, whether there is a natural means for telepathy. And yet, <coughs> those, and yet those questions are somehow outside of the mainstream of science. So it was a very interesting question to me. Why can we ask this question from a technological stance, but we can't ask this question uh, from a, the stance of a, a potential natural mechanism for this? That seemed like a really interesting question to me as to why that would be. And honestly, mm-hmm. it still seems like a really interesting question to me. So I did what a lot of us do when we uh, encounter these interesting questions. Is the first thing that I did was I, I, I started looking into it, and I started planning a class around it. I thought, if this is an interesting uh, question for me, then this will be an interesting question for students. Um, and so I started conceiving of, and I, I, and I eventually began teaching uh, a course that looks at how science works, but through the lens of looking at these fringe science, paranormal, strange fields in which people are uh, at least claiming to be doing scientific work, um, mm-hmm. and yet these things, again, are, are considered outside the mainstream of science. And so I started getting into looking at, looking at these fields, looking at what folks were doing. Um, this was the time when I started looking into the Sasquatch phenomenon. Um, I started looking at, you know, what, what is the potential evidence that's out there, trying to assess that, um, looking at who's, who's out there trying to do scientific research in this field. Um, I, I went out in the field with, uh, investigators to see what they do and kind of assess the the ways that they were asking questions and the the, the sorts of things that they were uh, attempting and the sorts of things that they were finding um, and it just the more I the more I looked into these areas the the more and more curious I became about uh, some of the potential evidence in in, in many of these fields. Well, uh, that's very interesting. When when was your first para, um, I guess paranormal class, or when when was the first time that you actually had uh, students sign up for the class? Oh, it was quite a few years ago now. Um, I started out. I I piloted the course the first couple of times I taught it. I taught it as a seminar in our university honors program. So I had really bright kids 
from a range of different disciplines. And that's one of the things that I really wanted was to make sure that students were thinking about these things from a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different disciplinary perspectives especially. Um, and so I taught this a couple of times as an honors course. Um, then uh, I, I started teaching it in our science, technology, and society program um, with a, uh, a, a, larger, a larger course with more of a cross-section of all of our students. And I've done that now. Uh, in fact, as we record this tonight, uh, just last night was the first class meeting of this semester, uh, which is my fifth time teaching this course. Wow. Thomas, did you want to jump in with any questions or insight? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I know I noticed, Professor, um, uh, human mind and the weird, ghost investigations, and Sasquatch research uh, on your page. Now, when you get into things like cryptozoology, Sasquatch research, do you teach from a zoological perspective or a paranormal perspective, or is it a combination of both? Well, uh, I think to start off with, I think that within the, uh, within the Bigfoot or Sasquatch community, um, the word paranormal is used in a different way than the way that I use it in my course. Um, <laughs> yeah. <and> so... <laughs> So uh, I, I think that when I, when I speak of the paranormal in the context of my course, I, I'm talking about um, anything, any, any phenomena that are, um, that are strange, that are unusual, um, and that cannot be explained by our, our current normal, if you will, explanations, scientific explanations. So in that sense, uh, even a zoological explanation for Sasquatch would be considered paranormal because it's outside the paradigm of our current zoological model, right? I understand. Uh, and so uh, paranormal really is just a word that, you know, if you break it down etymologically, uh, para is sort of like alongside of next to that sort of thing. So the paranormal are things that are uh, kind of adjacent to the normal. Um, they may be normal things. There may indeed be normal explanations, but they are paranormal. They are bracketed, if you will, uh, until we, um, until we, we solve the question, until we figure out what's going on there, until we can, we can, if you will, bring that into the fold of our, our normal scientific understandings of things. Okay. Now, when you get into teaching about cryptozoology, do you concentrate on the Sasquatch, or do you cover other topics as well, i.e. sea serpents, the Loch Ness Monster, things like that? Yeah. I, you know, there's only so much time in a semester. And I like to delve as deeply as I can into some of these things. Um, and I teach the course in a very hands-on fashion. So I have the students um, doing projects where they're really engaged with 
analysis, they're engaged with research, they're doing their own experiments, things like that. Um, and so I have to focus really carefully and, and on, you know, just a few things. So the course is actually called Science, Psy, Sasquatch, and Spirits. Um, I tend to focus on those things. So I foca- focus on uh, potential special abilities of the human mind, and I usually pick just one of those to really more intensely focus on in a given semester. Uh, I, I look at the Sasquatch phenomenon, and we look at we look at the we look at haunting type phenomenon, which I, I, I we can call ghosts. Um, one of the things that we certainly uh, ask in the in the course is, you know, how do you define a ghost? How would you even know if there were a ghost in the room? <laughs> um, right. The answers to those questions are far more complex than, than most students think. Um, but I do find that probably most of my students uh, come to the course most intensely interested in the ghost aspect. They're either, they're, they're either fans of Ghostbusters or they have video games that, that they play or, or particularly uh, many of them watch the, the ghost hunting shows on television. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a very useful for them to be able to understand that, yeah, there's a gulf of difference between uh, what you see on, on television and actual scientific investigation, especially right. in that field. Okay, now when, you, when you're teaching these courses, and I'm only going by the, what I was told by my late friends, uh, like, uh, Professor Vladimir Markotic, who I started out with from the University of Calgary, Professor Grover Krantz from the late Professor Grover Krantz from the University of Washington State, and, of course, the late John Bindernagel. I was just wondering, does your university ever give you a hard time over this? <laughs> um, not generally, no. Um, I will say that uh, you know, every once in a while, I have a particular colleague who has a, a a certain you know perhaps axe to grind or a certain very strong, <laughs> very strongly felt perspective that is at odds <laughs> with my teaching the course, perhaps, but. Actually, very rarely, and in part, uh, I think that is because of the approach that I take. Um, because I'm I'm trying to focus on uh, I'm trying to focus on real science, but I am unapologetic for my curiosity about strange things. And I think I've mm-hmm. earned that curiosity because I spent a lot of time really looking into these fields. And one of the things that I've challenged myself to do and I challenge my students to do is not to focus on the strange claims, not to focus on the silliness, not to focus on, you know, the, the unsupported ideas of which you can find many in all of these fields. There's lots of crazy stuff out there that you can find on the Internet and in books and lots of silly things that you can make fun of all day. But the challenge is, what do you do with the best potential evidence? Can you explain that? Can you 
Can you come to terms with that? Because that's the true test of uh, whether this field is, is worth investigating or not, not whether a bunch of people have a bunch of silly ideas. Right. Well, you know, there are some um, investigators out there, uh, Sasquatch investigators, who are doing, you know, more of a scientific approach. Um, and then you have some that Bigfoot is behind every tree and everything you hear in the woods is Bigfoot. And so, you, you know, you do have both parts of the spectrum in the Bigfoot community. But I'm sure you have... Um, spoke with, or um, maybe you, you said you you'd gone out in some investigations with some researchers. I'm sure you've had um, you've been exposed to some of the more scientific, serious investigators. Absolutely, and that's that's what I've tried to focus on. Now, I will say that I've been out there with the whole spectrum, <laughs> so especially. Uh -huh. early on, Especially early on, um, I had to, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily, I, I kind of looked at opportunities where I had them, and I kind of wanted to see what the range was sure. at the same time. Um, I, I always wanted to focus on those who at least uh, claimed that they had an interest in scientific investigation. But, um, you know, there are as you said, there's a whole spectrum of ideas about what that might mean that are held by uh, individual investigators, certainly. Right. Now, do, do you have to sort of like offset your your uh, studies into the, these topics by uh, other, like, how do I word this? Grover said he always treated his interest in the Sasquatch question at Wazoo, University of Washington State, as a side thing, and he did what they call his straight anthropology in a very convincing manner. <laughs> and Vladimir did the yeah. same thing. He said, I do my archaeological work in a very impressive manner, and when I go off to look into the Sasquatch, and stuff I don't get they don't give me too hard a time about it. Do you find yourself having to do that too, or is your university a little different? Well, you know, I, I would say that um, it's different in one sense in that I'm in a different type of faculty position than mm -hmm. say Grover France. Um, I I am I my 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 primary work as as a faculty member is is administrative work, um, uh -huh. and so I'm not in the, the the exact. I'm not in the type of tenure track position uh, that Grover Krantz was in. I don't have the sorts of. Um, uh, I don't have to give the, the the exact same sorts of research deliverables, but that said, uh, again, my 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 primary work on the campus in research is in uh, putting together these interdisciplinary teams. So when I put together a team uh, to work on uh, my research interests like this, um, 
I am I am doing it in the same manner that I help others put together any other kind of of research team. Uh, and so what that means is is that for any given collaborative research project, there are uh, often uh, many questions being asked. There are many potential outcomes from the work. So to even to turn to uh, just the, uh, the the current uh, collaborative study that I'm leading right now, um, which is looking at uh, unusual biological samples. Mm-hmm. Uh, my interest, my curiosity, one of one of these is in obviously the Sasquatch phenomenon, and 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 further exploring that. Um, I again, I don't apologize for my curiosity about that. Um, does that mean that that's the focus of the project? No, it isn't. I mean, that's that's the origin of the uh, or story of the project is in my curiosity about that. My recognizing that there are uh, investigators in the field who are finding, uh, in some cases, some unusual biological specimens. They're finding some of these that have, you know, they have unusual features or appearances. They're finding them sometimes in some unusual contexts. Um, some of these appear to uh, perhaps not be readily identifiable with known species and yet share certain features in common with one another? Well, that's a really interesting question. And the question isn't, is that Sasquatch? The question is, what is that? What accounts for that? Um, A possible answer may be, hey, if if we find an undiscovered species that's consistent with Sasquatch, well, that could be the answer. But the answer could also be, hey, these, these specimens are all coming from a known species, but exhibiting traits that maybe tell us something we didn't know about that known species. Or, again, there, there are lots of possible outcomes, but the, 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 the question is still very, very interesting. You have something strange and unusual, and there's two things you can do with it is you can either say, well, that's odd, uh, and you can push it aside, or you can say, well, that's odd. Let me figure out what's going on there. And that's what I'm choosing to do, is to say, let's let's Mm -hmm. look and see what's going on there. Now, my colleagues who are working with me, I mean, that's an interesting question to them, but also of interest to them are a host of other things. One of the things, one of the outcomes of this project is going to be really um, helping with the training of PhD students in genetics, because it's very rare um, that PhD students actually have the opportunity to work with specimens that are unknown. So that's good training for them. Um, some of my colleagues have real interest in pushing forward the uh, new methods in uh, forensics, wildlife for, in wildlife forensics. Well, gee, uh, looking at strange, unusual things is, a, is, is again, a great way of, of, of doing that and, look, and figuring out we're already finding that 
in, in just uh, planning to look at some of these types of samples um, and having these, these uh, amazing people all, you know, putting their heads together, we're already uh, finding that we're going to be able to do some things that really have never been done before. And I'm not just talking about with with regard to, you know, the, the the possible connection with the Sasquatch phenomenon. I'm just talking about methods of analysis. That's pretty cool. So uh, when you um, teach your class, the 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 emphasis isn't the Sasquatch definitely exists, and it's not. The Sasquatch definitely does not exist. It is something strange is going on. Let's find out more about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I would say is that, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that. Obviously, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the idea of existence, one way or the other, to my mind, is is settled. Um, uh, but. Uh, you know what's absolutely real. What does exist is the Sasquatch phenomenon, mm-hmm. and the problems right. of that phenomenon are there are lots of people who report having these encounter experiences. Um, there are people who are finding um, certain things that they point to that they allege is are evidence of these encounters or evidence of something, uh, you know, anything that, anything that is, uh, anything that is tangible. So like, for example, these biological samples that are coming to us, I can guarantee you that every single one of them uh, is evidence of something. It doesn't mean it's evidence of an unknown creature. It doesn't mean it's evidence of a known creature. We don't know what it's evidence of until we actually look at it. And that's that's one of the things that I think is so important and so embedded in the course is that uh, you have to you have to examine potential evidence in order to draw conclusions. You have to have a data set, you have to have evidence in order to draw scientific conclusions. What I've found is that uh even even something as what you would think of as relatively simple as the uh potential uh physical evidence potentially supporting a sasquatch hypothesis uh that most of it has never never been looked at by a credible scientific team um, and I've found that most of the reports that I hear, um, I have been, uh, for years I've been trying to track down particularly reports of genetic analysis. So somebody who says they, they, they had DNA analysis done or something like that. And what I found, which is really interesting, is I found that the overwhelming majority of those reports appear to be And I'm not saying intentionally false. I'm not saying intentionally false. But I cannot tell you how many times somebody will tell me, oh, you're doing a DNA analysis. 
my friend found such and so, and he had it analyzed and got such and such result. And so what I've said is I've said, instead of just saying, oh, that's interesting, thank you, I've said, well, who's your friend? And I call the friend. And I say, hey, I heard I'm getting ready to do this uh, DNA analysis project, and I'm trying to track down information on any analyses that have done bef- been done before. I heard that you found something and you had, a, you had an analysis done. And in ver- almost invariably, <laughs> that person will say, no, 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 that wasn't me. That was my other friend. So I'll go to the other friend. <laughs> and I've tracked this back. You know, some, sometimes I'll track this back through five or six people um, before I get to the source of the story. Um, and what I've found uh, almost every single time is that there wasn't actually any genetic analysis done. There may have been a microscopic analysis done where somebody looked at a hair and said, oh, okay, that looks like something unusual or that looks like what I think a Sasquatch hair would look like. Or, and I kid you not, no less than a half a dozen times with different chains of people, I got back to, uh, you know, the friend of the friend of the friend, right? (laughs) And what I heard was, oh, no, he misunderstood. I was telling him that I found a hair that looked like the hair that they did genetic analysis on in this one episode of Monster Quest. Oh, geez. (laughs) <laughs> I literally traced it was probably a half a dozen of these of these telephone chains, game of telephone, that I traced back to that one episode of Monster Quest. Where somebody <laughs> said it looked like the hair of that episode. It so, looks like know, the, the, wow. the takeaway for me is that you know that that, that DNA analysis has, has virtually not been done. There have been very, very few analyses that have been done, and there are far, far fewer of those um, for which uh, for which the sequencing data or the report, uh, you know, the, the actual sequences are available. Um, and in fact, um, really only a, really only two. <laughs> I mean, not two analyses, but two studies. Um, and yeah. So there's just, yeah, this is the thing is that, I mean, I, I hear all the time, I hear people say, oh, well, you know, there've been all these DNA analyses done and they all came back like this, or they came back that. And at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I can't find that hardly any of them were done. And, and like I say, even those that were done, it was, there was no report. There's no sequencing data. There's nothing to look at and 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 verify. Yeah. Sort of a old uh, people in a circle. You start the story at one end, and by the time it comes back around, it's completely changed. Yeah. It, it is exactly like that, and it was so frustrating to me. But it was also it also made me feel really good about the project because I realized. <laughs> This is something. I mean, this is really something historic uh, for this community to have uh, to have folks from the community who have these unusually appearing samples, at least allegedly unusually appearing samples that that uh, again have never really been looked at, have never been 
never been sequenced and, and that the data is just not available for. So uh, this is this is really historic for the community. And so I appreciate all the folks who are, are recognizing that and are really excited to see um, a real study of this kind being done. Well, to ask you something personal, Professor, what about the Sasquatch mystery has intrigued you the most? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, you know, I think, it's been a, I think it's been a number of things that have, um, that have kept me interested uh, over the years. Um, again, I think it's really looking at the, the very best potential evidence uh, in, in this field that I have a hard time. I find the idea that it's all hoax or it's all misidentification, uh, I find that answer unsatisfying, mm-hmm. at least without further really a lot further um, investigation. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned Dr. John Bendernagel. Mm-hmm. I had the pleasure of getting to know uh, John uh, really only at the very end of his life. Um, uh, but uh, And we never had the chance to meet in person, but we spent hours and hours together on the telephone. Um, and it was really interesting because, of course, he, uh, in his, particularly in his second book, The Discovery of the Sasquatch, uh, he was really looking at this, the similar sorts of questions to what I look at in my course, very similar sorts of questions about the culture of science. Now, he is approaching it as a wildlife biologist who has looked at um, so much of this potential evidence over the years and try to get a hearing for that evidence among his scientific colleagues mm-hmm. and finding a lot of resistance to that, right? And here I am as somebody who is teaching about things like that type of resistance in scientific communities and cultures and how, you know, how, how culture impacts the sorts of questions that, that can and how they can be asked within, within scientific fields. And, I'm, and here I am coming to the Sasquatch question from that side. And so we, we, we oftentimes joked about how we're, we're coming to a very similar place from two different directions. <laughs> but we're both intensely interested in these these cultural questions around the Sasquatch phenomenon and, and how do we, you know, how do we overcome these barriers? I think honestly the only thing that where John and I differed um, and it was really just a, it was a, it, it was a slight difference was, uh, you know, he was, he was certainly convinced that the, uh, the Sasquatch phenomenon was, was rooted is, is rooted in a, uh, a biological species, an unknown species. Um, and I'm not convinced of that. 
I'm open to that idea. I think that's absolutely a hypothesis that has to be explored. Um, but I, I'm still I'm really interested in exploring it. Uh, so we were we were sort of like uh, you know in in very in a very similar space to one another. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, coming from these two different directions, um, which was which was uh, funny to me, but uh, he was uh, funny to him, and yeah, he, but he 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 was a, a a wonderful human being, and and I you know he was he was a terrific sounding board for me. You know, the funny thing was was that uh, I remember um, I remember having a long conversation with John. Um, it was probably in the fall before he passed away. And um, I remember kind of outlining to him at that time what my plans were for putting together this very interdisciplinary project that, that, that I've now put together and is now launched. Um, and I, I said this and I explained to him, and, and of course he knew he knows how scientific or he knew how scientific communities worked and all that. And it was really, it was, it was so gratifying to me. It was one of the most gratifying moments of my entire journey. Uh, because after I, I sort of laid out my plans for him, uh, he's, he, he stopped and he, he had this long pause and he says, he says, Darby, he says, You, you've got it. You've figured out how to do this. <laughs> he says, I think you're going to, you know, I think you're really going to get, you know, you're really going to get these questions asked and you're really going to get these questions answered. And I said, well, John, that's, that's the idea. That's what I'm going for. But, and it took me years to, you know, to get the right team together, uh, to, 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 to put the project together. Um, Science is real. Science is not a fast process. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, you know, it's 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 but it's 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 so wonderful to be. I, I feel like we're uh, I'm in this wonderful place right now because the project is it is open and it is it is rolling along. And yes, there's always an extra bureaucratic piece of paperwork I have to fill out at the university or there's something, but, uh, but it's rolling at this point and it's happening and we're going to, I, I don't know what we're going to find, but I know that the samples that, 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 that we take in for the study, I know that the over, overwhelmingly we're going to be able to determine what they are. I don't want to – it would be premature for me to guess, you know, what they are. There's a whole range of what we could find, but we're going to find out what it is, uh, each of these samples, and that's really exciting to me. Well, Darwin, let me ask you this. The, the samples that you're taking um, and collecting, is it samples that have already been analyzed through DNA? Um, no. Uh, and like I said, I mean, there, there really, uh, have, have been very few samples that have been analyzed in that way. So are you guys um, analyzing them with DNA study? Yes. What we're doing is, uh, basically,
basically we have the call out, and I'll uh, and uh, I thank you for sharing the 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 URL for that in your show notes because um, I'm trying to get the word out to folks and listeners of this podcast may have you know they may be holding <laughs> uh, wonderfully interesting samples. Um, so what we we've got we've got the call out now, and folks have been offering uh, offering samples. Uh, I follow up each of those offers, um, you know, sort of prioritize them from there. I follow up each of those offers with um, an interview, a brief, just a brief interview with folks to get a little more context around the sample and what makes it interesting in the context of, you know, uh, where and how it was collected, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and the, the, uh, the samples are going to start arriving to us shortly. Um, okay. And um, and then from there, you know, our first steps obviously are to uh, look at these things visually and microscopically. So, uh, you know, and there may be some of these that come in that, uh, you know, that may be all that we do. Um, for example, um, you know, one like I said, one of the first things that we'll do is put these under a microscope. Well, I was talking with one person recently who had uh, who had a sample to uh, that they wanted to submit to us, and and it was a you know uh, it was a, a Bigfoot investigator who really you know really excited about it, but really cares too about the science of it. And he said, well, before I send this to you, uh, he purchased a uh, 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 a, a microscope on Amazon. In fact, it's a, it's just a, it's it's really, really neat. They have these microscopes now. You can basically plug into your phone or plug into your computer. Okay. Um, and you can you can get really, you know, it's not a tremendous microscope, but it you can get pretty good detail, and it's like twenty dollars or so on Amazon. So he said, before I send it to you, I want to, you know, I want to I want to check this out. And I uh, talked to him later, and he's like, well, I'm disappointed, but I'm not going to send it to you because he stuck it under the microscope, and he saw that it wasn't hair after all. It was the, uh, what do they call it? They call it old man's beard. It's a kind of okay. like lichen or something. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and he could tell because when he put it on the microscope, he could see that it wasn't like a, they weren't single hairs. They were you know, they were splitting off into various branches like a tree would. <laughs> well, that's so interesting. Was, okay, I don't have hair here, so it looks like hair to the human eye, but put it under a microscope and you can yeah, tell. Okay, okay. so it's, that's it's, your first step is to microscopically so, analyze yeah, the majority. Now, you're not so, looking for samples uh, that somebody has put in a plastic bag and stuck in their dresser drawer for 10 years, right? Well, you know, that is interesting because, um, again, I, this is one of the great things about working with the team that I work with is that that's certainly not ideal, and especially if it was put in that bag wet, it probably right. rotted. But here's the thing. Um, the colleagues that I have and the level of expertise that they have, they're actually a lot less concerned about that issue than I thought they'd be. Well, that's um, interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. And 
this is this is the thing is that uh, uh, I, you know I'm already learning about that that cutting bleeding edge of uh, genetic technology myself oh. as somebody who's been you know more than well informed about a lot of these things um, uh, but not an expert I am not a geneticist um, I I have been working very very closely with geneticists for years but when we when we came to this project when I, I in fact at one of our uh, one of our team meetings, uh, this is the thing I was going through the the list of things that have been offered, and you know some of these are older than others. They were collected a longer time ago, and and yeah, certainly the idea is, hey, we want things. We do. It is nice to have samples that are fresher. It is nice to have samples that were collected and stored under more the ideal conditions. But here's the thing. If somebody has a really interesting sample that was collected under really interesting circumstances, that it, you know, or et cetera, et cetera, we don't want to we don't want to say, well, but it was in a plastic bag, so we don't want it. Or yeah. it was five years ago, so we don't want it. I mean, and if you think about this, I mean we're we're channeling, you know, we're channeling forensic techniques, really which is that uh, we want to look at evidence that's there and determine what it is rather than trying to investigate a particular model and then find evidence that fits that model. And so yeah. uh, that's, that's very cool that you guys do evidence. it that way because I know a lot of people who probably do have that plastic bag in a drawer somewhere yeah. that – They've always thought, man, this is. I know this could be something. This could be something, but you know, most people can't afford to have a DNA test run on on a hair or whatever. So, how would they go about contacting you if they had something they thought was was uh, potentially interesting? Well, uh, they can just go to the the online link uh, that will be in the show notes. And uh, there they can they can find the the intake survey form, um, and what we do is we just ask folks um, for for any given sample, and by sample, really I mean a sample that was found in the same place at the same time. Okay, uh, so not people have asked me, you know, well I I picked up three hairs. Do you want me to fill out the form three times? I'm like, no, not if you found them at the same place at the same time. Right. <laughs> now, if you picked up three hairs in three different places in three different years, <laughs> yes, I do want the separate information on each. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so they fill that out, and uh, it asks for some information about it. Also, uh, you know, the, the other thing is, is that um, this is, again, this is a formal study. This is this is uh, we are committed to um, keeping private information private, so people have a choice of whether they want to um, be identified or publicly or be identified with their sample. Which, quite frankly, it, it, uh, among investigators, that's something that most of them want. <laughs> 
they they want to make sure that when when you know <laughs> as they put it you know when you find Sasquatch, I want you to be able to say that it was me who provided you. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, um, but, I can yeah. imagine that. Now well, let me do I, let me tell you something, Darby. Well, there's some who want to be anonymous I, too, and we support that. Yeah. So I mean, if somebody wants to, and we've had a we we have had a few people who have had really interesting stories, really interesting uh, samples, and yet they don't want to be connected with this stuff at all. They're really curious what it is. They want to contribute to the contribute it to the study, but they don't want to be mentioned at all. That's fine. We keep that information private. And I'll also add that under no circumstances. Uh, are we sharing specific location information for for anything that we're looking at? Um, so uh, we we ask for that because I you know I just I really want to have that information in in case of follow up in terms of what we may find. But right. uh, we are we are not sharing that. I'm not not going to be responsible for. You know, people descending on somebody's backyard or for, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I know I know a lot of uh, a lot of investigators are really private about where they investigate. So I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I, I, I was yeah. like, you know, I'm not I'm not that that information is not going to get shared. Um, and uh, so, you know, we might share the state or the region or whatever else, right. but we're not we're not. We're not even sharing to like the county level, so well, that's fantastic i mean you're and it's not just the state of North Carolina. you will accept them from from anywhere in the um we United are states, yeah, uh, right now we're set up to receive from the United States and Canada um Canada uh, yeah, the United States or Canada um Although, you know, I was just contacted today by somebody who, um, uh, somebody in the UK. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, well, wow, uh, that'd be interesting. You know, right now, you know, as of as of today, we're not we're not we're not set up to uh, to take anything from you know outside of of North America. But eh, you know, that's a small extra piece of paperwork I could I could I could file, and if it you know, if the if if the if the sample in the context is uh, is interesting enough, I think you know, maybe maybe we'll slip that one in and see what it is. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this, Darby: Are you familiar with Cindy Dawson? Yes, um, I, I have uh, I have spoken with Cindy, and she has uh, done some wonderful work. Um, oh, she uh, has trained herself. In in yeah. uh, in in microscopic analysis of hair, um, and yeah, I mean, I I I sat with down with her on Zoom. Oh, it was probably about a year and a half ago, and she went through and and showed me a lot of the work she'd been doing and the sources she's been consulting. And yeah, she's she is really a phenomenal citizen scientist, and I was really impressed with her. Um, and uh yeah, and I'm really interested in um looking at some of the, the samples that she found. Yeah, um, she does have some interesting samples. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um Yeah, and I at this point I I think a 
officially only one or two of the samples that she's looked at have been offered to the study by their owners, but I'm hoping that that number will go up. <laughs> well, well, let me add this for our listeners. Um, even if, and if you have an unusual hair that doesn't look familiar to you and you know the the species in your area where you found it and you're thinking, well, this this could be something unusual. Let's see, this has been probably eight or nine years ago now. Uh, I lived in Ohio at the time, and I was investigating a property where the property owner had witnessed what he believed to be a Sasquatch three different times on his property. So we were out there investigating, and he had a barbed wire fence. It was probably like at least 250 feet worth of barbed wire fence. But I went down the entire 250 feet looking for hair, something different, something unusual. Well, I did come across this certain hair, and I was like, well, this looks very unusual. So I sent it up to Cindy, and uh, it came back as Bobcat. Well, what's interesting Uh is the Bobcat in that county in Ohio had been exterminated over 150 years ago, and there has been no type of proof that they were back in that county until I submitted that hair. Interesting. Interesting. So for people who are listening, it's not just the Sasquatch that, you know, it could be something else that you're helping um, that scientifically can prove that this, this, you know, like the Martin out in California and Stephen Stryfert and the gang out there at Bluff Creek with their camera um, project, they were able to record a Martin for the first time in, you know, eons. So it's not just about Sasquatch. You're definitely, if you're contributing something and it comes back as something unusual, then, you you know, you've, you're doing really good work scientifically whether or not it is a Sasquatch. So you got oh, nothing absolutely. to lose. Absolutely, and that's what I mean, but there there are so many other interesting outcomes that could come from this study. Let me ask you, Julie, do you still have that hair that, that Cindy recognizes Bobcat? Um, I, I believe I still have the hair um, in an envelope in my freezer. Well, you know, I, I think that that might be something interesting for you to offer to my study. Uh, because a hair that uh, looks like a bobcat hair that was found in an area that is not at all thought to be within bobcat range, I think that qualifies as an unusual biological sample. Absolutely. Um, Let me look into that and uh, get back with you on that. But um, See, I moved from Ohio back to my home state of North Carolina, so... I can't say 100% that it's in my freezer, but <laughs> I, it should be. But, you know, I do have the actual photographs, of the microscopic photographs that she took of them that she had sent to me. You know, and compared them to the suspect hair that she mm-hmm. had on file. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's interesting, and and again, uh, you know, what what's interesting, and and, and it's, uh, and, you know, I think Cindy does amazing work with identification, um, but it would be interesting too, especially in a case like that where an animal's being found, you know, potentially found far outside of its known range. Um, it would be really interesting to then, you know, to think about genetic analysis of that to make sure that it is indeed bobcat hair, um, because as I'm sure Cindy would be the first to say, uh, there are, um, you know, there's there's an art to the identification of hair, but the uh, the the, uh, the the genetic analysis would be really the gold standard to uh, to verify that that is indeed what that is. Yeah, that that's a very good point. Um, yeah, let me check back into that, and uh, I'll let you know. I'll have to go through my freezer. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's at the top of the hour, and what an interesting show. And, Darby, we would love for you to keep us posted on how things are going, and, you know, once you get some um, samples identified or, you know, you got your research going on, and if you have anything interesting to report, we would love to have you back on and share that with us. Well, I, I'm real curious to see what we find, and uh, as I said before, uh, unfortunately, real science is not a quick process, so... Um, it won't be a month from now. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure of that. Now, but, uh, but yeah, the nice thing is, is that uh, you know everybody who offers samples to the study will receive uh, will receive a report back on their sample, um, okay. and and of course we will be reporting these things publicly. And I'll uh, I'll absolutely look forward to, to coming back and, and talking with folks awesome. at some point in the future about uh, what our findings are and how, how it's going. That's great. Thomas, did you have anything to throw in at the, the end here? I just want to thank the professor, and I'm always happy when I hear of academia in general taking a more open-minded approach to this subject in general, because that was not always the case and very mm -hmm. case in the past. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> well, and, you know, the, the, the thing is that, you know, this study would not be possible without uh, the, 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 the uh, community and, and investigators um, and so this is, I mean, this is truly a partnership. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, why, that's why I'm here to help get the word out uh, to people who may have uh, interesting samples. This is the opportunity uh, to, to uh, have them tested in, in a way that uh, you'll be able to count on knowing <laughs> what these are. Wow. That's awesome. Well, Darby, thank you for joining us. I know you're a busy, busy person, and um, we look forward to hearing more later down the road. Thank you all so much. You're welcome. And, Thomas, I will see you again next month for another episode. It will be episode number 45. Looking forward to it, Julie. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I want to thank all our listeners. 
and you can look at the uh, on the show here as you're seeing the slideshow look down below in the description and there will be the information you need to uh, find to send any you know your samples if you'd like to to send to Darby or just get a hold of them and you know start from there um, I think the whole thing is completely fascinating and I'm glad it's happening in my home state well I want to thank everybody for listening and we will see you again next month thank you